John 10, 10 and 11, two verses. And I've titled this message tonight, A Mother, A Mother of Life and Death. Do you hear that tonight, friends? A mother, a mother of life and death. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight, Lord, that you're in the midst, oh God. You said where the twos and threes are gathered together in your name, Lord, you are in the midst, oh God. And Lord, we stand tonight between the living and the dead, oh God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would come, Lord, that you would move, Lord. Lord, that you would hide me far behind the cross, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would touch these lips with the coals of the altar, Lord. I know that you've given me a word, Lord. A word to bring to some heart, Lord. A word to bring to some life tonight, O oh God. It may be their final night, O oh God. Father, I pray tonight that you would have your way, Lord. Lord, that hearts would be opened. That ears would be opened, O oh God. Lord, that you would break the resistance tonight, O oh God. Father, that you would do a work, Lord, in hearts and lives tonight, O oh God. For we confess tonight that we need you, Lord. Lord, as our brother prayed tonight, we need you, Lord. Lord, this world is going to hell in a handbasket, Lord, and we need you, Lord. We need the life of Christ to move in this place, Lord, in this town, Lord, in this city, Lord, in this nation, O oh God. Lord, we need you to move tonight, O oh God, by your great power, Lord. So, Father, we pray that you would have your way, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would do a great work tonight, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would show your great part tonight, Lord. Lord, have your way, we pray in Jesus' mighty name, O God. A mother, a mother of life and death. A mother of life and death. John 10 10 11 says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Maybe you never heard me tonight. Maybe you're a wee bit slow of hearing tonight. But the word of God says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But friends, the good news is that Christ said that I am come. That I am come that ye may have life. And that ye may have it more abundantly. For I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd giveth his life. He giveth his life. Friend, hear me tonight. You who sit here on our own saved. Friends, he gave his life for you. He gave his life for me. He giveth his life for the sheep. You know, I heard a discussion the other day and it was on the radio and they were talking about euthanasia and for anyone who doesn't know what euthanasia is, it's the practice of intentionally ending a life, intentionally ending a life 
to relieve from pain and suffering. And the question was, should human beings have the right to decide on issues of life and death? Should human beings have the right to decide on issues of life and death? And as you can imagine, many people were ringing in and giving their points of views and, and giving their arguments. And, I, and can I say, quite a lot, quite a lot of people were ringing in in favor, in favor of euthanasia. Why would they want to go on living in pain and suffering? Why not just take a tablet and take a drink of water and then a minute later, it's over. It's gone. No more pain. No more suffering. That's their words, not my words. And on the same program, I heard that the Dutch Parliament, the Dutch Parliament, that there's been a proposal set forward by a group called Out of Free Will. This group is called Out of Free Will. And their proposal calls for recognition. Hear me tonight, friends. Their proposal calls for recognition of the right of all Dutch citizens over the age of 70 who are tired of life, who are tired of living, to be able to seek professional assistance in ending their lives and in bringing death. I mean, friends, where is all this going to end? So if you're over 70 and you're just tired of it all, you go up to the wee man at the desk and say, look, I'm, I'm 71, but I'm tired of my life. I'm tired of this life. I want to die. Could you help me, please? Friends, where is it all going to end? Where is it all going to end? Because remember, this is only the start of things. This is only the start of things. It's where it's all going. You hear me tonight? It's where it's all going. And where is it going to end? And friend, this is Holland that we're talking about. A country in Europe, a country, a leading country in the EU. So remember whenever you're talking about whether she should stay in Europe or get out, because you know something, there could be another referendum here. But do you remember that tonight? You know I rung that radio program. I rung that radio from, from Mallory. I didn't get on. But I told the guy on the phone, I said, listen to me, friend. God is a giver of life. God is a preserver of life. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. And I went on to tell him about how God preserved my life. How he preserved my life. How he touched me. And how he healed me. How he done a great miracle in my life. And that my God, that my God is a God of life and not of death. Friends, what's the opposite of life? What is the opposite of life? Well, it's death, isn't it? It's death. Now friends, this is not, 
This is not going to be a doom and gloom message. So don't be thinking, my goodness, what's he going to preach here? Where's he going with this? But friends, let me give you a few facts and figures. Let me give you a few facts and figures on death. You know, they reckon in the UK that nearly 600,000 people die every year. That's over 1,600 people per day die every day. That's seven days a week. You know, death doesn't take weekends off. Death doesn't take weekends off. In the city of London, which has a population of over 10 million, they reckon over 100,000 people die each year. That's an average of 276 people per day. In the world, they say that over 55 million, that's nearly the population of Great Britain. I think there's about 62 million live in Great Britain. But they say in the world that over 55 million people per year die. That's nearly 152,000 people per day. 6,300 people per hour. 105 people each minute. That's nearly two people dying each second of every minute of every day of our lives. You know, that's some statistics, isn't it? It's staggering. It's staggering on death, on death. But let me give you the opposite to those statistics. As I've said, 52 million people die each year. Well, over 131 million people are given life. They're given life each year. That's 360,000 births per year, 15,000 births per hour, 250 births per minute, four births each second. Of every minute, of every day in life. Friends, hear me tonight. Jesus says, I am come. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Friends, listen to me. Life conquers death. Life conquers death. But, but let us look at, look at this in a spiritual context. The start of verse 10 says, the thief. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, in history, Satan is clearly the thief. He's a thief. He's called a usurper. And that word usurper just means someone who wrongfully takes the place of someone else. The dictionary says a usurper usually tries to take someone else's place on the throne rather than someone's place, someone's seat on the bus. And that's what Satan has been trying to do. He's trying to take the place of King Jesus and usurp his authority on earth. But friends, the good news is that this is never going to happen. For our King Jesus, our King Jesus has defeated Satan at a place called Calvary. But you know something? The penny just hasn't dropped with Satan. The penny just hasn't dropped with Satan. But his mission... His mission is to steal and to kill and to destroy people's lives, their health, their families, their purpose in life, and everything that is good. Ultimately, his mission is to bring death. His mission is to bring death. And you know, friends, if you look with the natural eyes at that world out there, you would say, well, Satan seems to be doing a very good job, doesn't he? There's death all around us. There's chaos all around us. This world, friends, would you not agree with me? This world is in an absolute mess. 
It doesn't know which way to turn. Everybody seems to be at everybody's throat. And life just means nothing to a lot of... Life's just worth 2D. Is that not right? Life means nothing to a lot of people. That's why... Murder and suicide is at an extraordinary high rate. Satan is doing his very best to bring death and destruction in this world. That's what he's all about, friends. That's what he's all about. He was cast out of heaven because he wanted to take the place of God. Pride came into his heart, but God cast him out along with the third of the angels. And now he roams this earth, seeking whom he may kill and devour, and destroy. And he'll use every tactic in the book so that he can kill a life, kill a life, and destroy it. And friend, you hear me tonight, you who sit here tonight, and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is Satan's plan for your life. Friends, sober words tonight, but that is Satan's plan for your life. He wants to steal your life, he wants to kill your life, and he wants to destroy your life. He was a murderer from the very beginning, and he still is a murderer. First Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And friends, I know that that verse is primarily to the church. But on save person in this hall tonight, Satan is your adversary. Hear me. Satan is your, he's, a, he's not your friend. He's not your friend, but he's your adversary. And he's totally opposed to you and totally opposed to your life. And he wants to destroy your life. And he wants to take your life and to kill your life. And he'll do everything in his power to take that life from you. Whether you're a young boy or a young girl or whether you're an older man or an older woman, Satan's main aim is to kill, to steal and to destroy life. Why? Why? Because in the beginning, friends, in the beginning, God, God, our God, created life. Genesis 1, 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowls of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Man and woman were a special creation of Almighty God, not of evolution. Don't listen to what your teachers are saying. Not of evolution, but of God. They were both created in the image and likeness of God, and they were to reflect His love, His glory, and His holiness. They were to be God's representative on this earth, clothed with authority to rule over the world. They possessed a moral likeness to God, for they were sinless and holy, possessing wisdom, a heart of love, and the will to do right. They lived in a personal fellowship with God that involved moral obedience and intimate communion. Man was God's special possession. Create it. Create it, friends. Create it in the likeness of God. But but then the fall came. Then the fall came. 
The fall came when Satan tempted the woman and sin entered right in. And when that sin entered in, spiritual death came immediately while physical death came later on. Satan thought that he had gained the upper hand on God. But praise God, the plan of salvation was there right from the very beginning. And when Christ came, he conquered that devil. He conquered death and he conquered hell and he conquered the grave. But you know something, friends, that devil is still fighting a rear guard action. Is that not right? Can none of us not testify to that tonight? That devil is still fighting a rear guard action. He's still trying to kill, to kill, to steal, and to destroy everything, everything that has been created in the image of God. And that's you, friend, and that's me. He's totally, that devil is totally opposed to life. He's totally opposed to life. He's totally opposed to God's creation. And as I said, he'll do everything. He'll do everything in his power to kill that life. And if he can't kill that life, then he'll do everything in his power to destroy that life, to ruin that life, and to distort that life. That's why even in the last few years, just look what's happening. Look what's happening with man and woman's gender. I mean, surely you've read about it. Surely, look what's happening with man and woman's gender. Men thinking that they're living in a woman's body and want to be a woman, and women thinking that they're living in a man's body and they want to be a man. And, and kids are even starting this now. I mean, friends, surely this is a clear distortion. Surely this is a clear distortion originating from the devil, trying to distort, trying to destroy everything that's made in the likeness of God. And you know something, friend, the younger, the younger that he can try and kill and destroy a life, take that young life, then the better for him. You know, he's been trying to destroy young lives for thousands and thousands of years. If you go back in the book of Exodus, way back at the beginning, we're shown clearly how the devil tried to wipe out a generation by killing all the male babies. But God had a plan and a purpose by preserving a baby called Moses, who grew up to be one, to grew up to be the one who would deliver the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. We move forward 1600 years to the book of Matthew and we find the Messiah, friends, the God-man, born in a stable, born of a virgin, called Mary and a little stable in Nazareth. Once again the enemy tried to abort for, for, for every baby under the age of two was to be killed. But friends hear me tonight. God had a greater plan than the first in Exodus. This baby was the son of God. He didn't die then but he was born to die and at the age of 33 on an old rugged cross he died for you friend and he died for me. He defeated every principality and every ruler of darkness. Every power of this earth was put under his feet. It was put under his feet. He became our deliverer. But now we bring it up to the present age. Now we bring it up to now, 2019, 2,000 years later. And not only do we have laws passed to allow babies to be killed just after, just moments after they're born. But as we've said, well, as I've said, there's euthanasia, there's suicide, and a spirit sent just to destroy. And to take lives. But listen to me friends tonight. I believe this will be the final deliverance. Because I believe we're on the verge of revival. We're on the verge of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. And then his return. And friend listen to me very clearly tonight. Listen to me very clearly tonight. If your name is not found written in that long book of life. When he returns. 
When he returns, then you'll face that final death. You'll face that final death in hell forever and forever and forever and forever. But you know, Jesus said, I am come. I am come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Friends, hear me tonight. There's life for a look at the crucified one. If only you would but look to him, look to him and put your trust and your faith in him. He's the only one, friend, tonight that can give you eternal life, eternal life. You know, these words that Jesus said in John 10 and 10, he said them to the Pharisees. He said them to the Pharisees and the scribes. For you see, it was the Sabbath and Jesus had just healed the blind man. The blind man, well, well, he was blind from birth and he was brought to Jesus. And Jesus spat in the ground and made clay and rubbed it upon his eyes. And then told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he washed, his eyes opened and he was able to see. But the Pharisees were not happy about this because he, because he was healed on the Sabbath day. It was against their laws to do any type of work on the Sabbath day. And this was a running argument between the Pharisees and between Christ. Not only because he healed on the Sabbath day, but they believed that Christ broke all their ritual ceremonies and rules of their religion. When he mixed with the Gentiles, when he sat amongst sinners, when he healed on the Sabbath, when he ate with unwashing hands, when he had supper with the tax collectors, all these things and many more, the Pharisees scorned at and murmured at. They were so focused on their ritual ceremonies and on their rules and regulations of their religion that they missed the purpose of these practices. And Christ, friends, hear me tonight, Christ made his most severest denunciation of these people, of these scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. I'm not going to read them all out to you, but I'll give you a flavor. I'll give you a flavor of what Christ said to these Pharisees. In verse 4, Matthew 23, Christ said, for they, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Verse 13, he said, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer them. Ye, neither suffer ye them that are entering in. Verse 14, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Verse 15, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. Verse 23, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and, and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anacene and common and have, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. He says to them, ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. And on down the chapter in verse 27, he says, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones of all uncleanness. And many other things that he said unto them. And friends, you can get the picture tonight of our opening scripture Christ has just healed the blind man and the people are all standing around in, in wonder and awe and in amazement but the Pharisees vehemently turn on the Christ for healing on the Sabbath but Christ responds to them but Christ responds to them you are thieves you are murderers you are destroying the people you are bringing death to the people 
But listen to me, you scribes and Pharisees. I am come. I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. For I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And friends, this is the whole essence. This is the whole essence of Christ coming to the world to bring life, to bring life and to give life. He willingly died so that you and I might live and and so that you and I might live and not just an ordinary life, but to live a life abundantly, to live a life abundantly filled and running over. Friends, let me tell you, let me tell you what a few men have said about life. D.L. Moody said, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. Andrew Murray said, life must be filled with life. Frederick Wood said, ask the Lord to make your life a glory to him, a menace to the devil, a strength to your church, and a witness to the world. Matthew Henry said, the business of our lives is not to please ourselves, but to please God. And finally, someone once said, only one life to live, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ Well, last, friends, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, and I know a lot of the older ones will agree with me tonight. This life just goes in in the blink of an eye. Is that not right, Brian? This life just goes in in the blink of an eye. How quick the passing of time is. That's why we need to live our lives as if Christ died yesterday. He rose today and he's coming back tomorrow. But friends, I feel a need to keep reiterating this this point, especially in the light of this morning's message. Christ died so that you and I might have life might have life and that we might have it more abundantly he didn't die so that you and I can live a mediocre life a dull and a boring life and just to clench our teeth and try to make the best of it no absolutely not friends but he died to give us a full life a full life an abundant life an overflowing life an exuberant life a life to be lived in the, to the full not in the pleasure of this world no but a fullness of life in him in him the Pharisees were stifling the life of the people they were bringing death but Christ came to give them life he came to give them life and to give it to them more abundantly and friends hear me tonight I know this life is hard I know this life is hard this life is tough and I'm talking about our everyday lives I'm talking about our everyday lives when we wake up in the morning and we have to go out and do a day's work. Or when we get up and we have to get the kids up and get them ready for school and get them out to school. And then we have to deal with the everyday things of life, looking after our house, putting food on the table, paying the bills, and dealing with those unexpected problems that, that seem to come so regularly our way. Friends, life can be hard, is that not right? Life can be hard. But believer, you hear me tonight. Christ says there is an abundant life. There is an abundant life that he wants you and I to have. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Friends, the law of the Spirit of life is a regulating, activating power and life of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit operating in the hearts of believers. And when we allow the spirit of life, 
the spirit of life to move within us. Then we find a new power within us to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. But friends, hear me tonight. We have to allow that spirit of life. We have to allow that spirit of life to move within us. We have to be proactive. We cannot stand and be passive. We cannot stand with our two arms, the one length, one length, and just expect the Holy Spirit to do everything for us. Friends, it doesn't work like that. There has to be participation. That's whether that's in praise and worship. Whether that's in your prayers, in the reading of your word, in the preaching of the gospel, in witnessing to your family, to your friends, to your work colleagues, whatever God calls us to do, there has to be a stepping forward of faith. Do you get it tonight, friends? There has to be a stepping forward of faith. And when we do that, when we do that, the spirit of life will start to flow in our lives. You know what Brother Clendenin used to say? Life Produces life. Life produces life. Friend, I ask you, are you producing life? Are you producing life? Or are we just bringing death? Are we just bringing death? You know, Jesus said, because I live, ye shall live also. What is that life? What is that life that the Christ is talking about here? Friends, it's a life that's being lived in the power of the Holy Ghost. It's a life that believes that there's no limitations. With Do you believe that tonight? That there's no limitations with God. It's a life that partakes of the divine nature. Of the divine nature of God. You know, friends, you don't need to live a mundane life. You don't need to live a mundane life. You don't need to live a life that's just waiting. I come just waiting. How come just waiting for this door to open? I'm just waiting for that door to open. Waiting just like the lame man at the, the lame man at the pool of Basita. Waiting for the waters to stir. No, friends. Friends, you don't need to live a life that's defeated. You don't need to live a life that's depressed. You don't need to live a life that's just going up and down, up and down, just going through the motions of Christianity. No, friends, you don't need to live a life just tolerating what life throws at you. No, friends, you can live a life excited. You can live a life excited knowing that God lives within you, knowing that the great God of heaven has given you a new life, a new life in Christ, knowing that God has placed at your disposal all the powers of heaven. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Think about it. The great God of heaven has given to us all the powers of heaven. Romans 8, 10, 11 says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Friends, that Spirit that Christ quickens to us is life-changing. It's life-changing, not only to those who receive receives it, but it can be to others around us. Friends, as I said, life attracts life. Life attracts life. But if we are dead, if we're dead spiritually, then then we're not going to attract anything. Why would an unsaved person be attracted to someone or something that's dead? That's dead. 
You know, you may know your Bible inside out. You may know all the points of Calvinism or whatever it is. You may live a life very disciplined and very strict. But friend, hear me tonight. If you're dead in spirit, then it's all just works. It's all just works. For the Bible says the letter killeth, but the spirit brings life. Do you hear me tonight? The letter killeth, but the spirit brings life. But when we walk in the spirit, when we allow that life to flow, then it shows on our faces. It shows in our faces. It shows in which, in, in the way in which we live. It shows in how we conduct ourselves around other people. It shows in our worship. It shows in our praise. It shows in, in all that we say, do, or think. Friend, are you getting it tonight? Are you getting it tonight? We don't just have to do a meeting. We don't just have to do them and just go through the usual routine of meetings. But we can come here and be a part of a Holy Ghost-filled, river-flowing, supernatural, God-exalting time in the presence of God. Amen. Does anybody believe that tonight? Does anybody really believe that tonight? You know, I know some of you are thinking, well, it's okay for you, Stephen, preaching all that, but what do I do? What, what do I need to do? I want that life that you're talking about, but I don't know how. I want that abundant life in the Spirit. But friends, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Number one, make sure you've got nothing between your brother or your sister. Make sure you've got nothing between your neighbor. Number two, yield to the Lord and let go of every hindrance that would stop the flow of the Spirit in your life. Number three, have faith in his word. Believe that if Jesus said that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters, then out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Number four, begin to open your mouth and begin to love him, begin to praise him, begin to worship him. And number five, begin to give God all the glory and all the honor to the lamb that was slain. Friend, you can leave this hall tonight changed, changed. There's no greater need for the church than men and women and boys and girls that are full and overflowing with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Ghost. Friend, I ask you, are you willing are you willing to let go? Just to let go and to let God have your way. Are you willing tonight? You know, as I come to your close, Jesus said, I have come that ye may have life and that ye may have it more abundant. Who wants that abundant life tonight? You know, friends, I want that abundant life. I, I need that abundant life. Yesterday's blessings will not do. But I need that abundant I, I want to live that life. I want to live the life of another. Do you? Do you? Could we stand tonight? Jonathan and Jillian.